Genesis 1 is a place of life, and only monsters reject its order. The act of breaking the laws of creation will trap one in a state of monstrosity. Creation is structured with reason and order, moreover it is constructed by the word of God. Rest is the final piece established in creation, and it has its place as do the various pieces of creation that came before it. In Genesis 1 we find laws governing the universe, we find the very laws of physics, and there is a void without these laws and the structure they create. Welcome to Kingdom of the Logos, a Christian program of critical thinking and adventure produced by clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and today we're going to be looking at Genesis again. And our emphasis in this study of Genesis is looking at the built-in morality in these ancient accounts. This is sermon number four in this series, and today we will be looking at Genesis chapter two. So let us begin in Genesis chapter two, verses one. And we're going to be reading from the NRSV. Genesis 2.1 reads as follows, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. This is a very interesting passage, because God rests on the seventh day, and with the actual work of creation drawing to an end on the sixth day. Thus we are presented with an interesting problem. Is Genesis suggesting that work is not complete until one is rested, until one has had time to contemplate the work that they have done? Why is creation not completed on the sixth day if that was the final day where we actually seen active work going on? This is interesting and it reveals something about the nature of God as well as the nature of creation. The created order is complete, but God's work does not cease. Even as God has finished organizing the universe, his activity will continue. God is active even as God is resting. Moreover, rest itself is one of the fundamental aspects of creation and it is part of the established order of the universe. And this is something which we know to be fundamentally true. As people, we realize that if we spend too much time without rest, really bad things can happen. Rest, whether momentary withdrawal or deep sleep, is essential to life. Furthermore, it is a component of creation that is so deeply built into the universe that it spans across time and across a multitude of living beings. To deprive oneself of rest is to abstain from a necessary law of God. If you've ever read the book, The Invisible Man by H.G. Wells, you know that the lack of sleep is an immense problem for Griffin. Griffin is the mentioned invisible man suggested by the title. And Griffin realizes quite quickly that there are a lot of problems with being invisible. In fact, one of the big problems is that one really cannot find rest. And it is such a problem that it eventually becomes a tool against him. Now, it is not immediately clear to us why being invisible would turn one into a monster. Nor is it clear why the lack of sleep would be one of the factors encouraging one's transformation into monstrosity. Griffin, the invisible man, he starts off life being not so invisible. In fact, in his young age, he is an ambitious scientist who starts to move towards the study of light and how it interacts with the objects of the world. And after a while, he starts to learn that there may be a process of making things invisible. And once he finally finds a way to make them invisible, he quickly has a temptation to turn himself invisible. Griffin initially thinks that this would be a marvelous thing. And he ponders the marvel of invisibility, and he turns himself invisible. And when doing this, he quickly finds out that this supernatural ability comes with its fair share of problems. Wood would think that being invisible would allow you to go everywhere alone and have a lot of freedom, 
In fact, many people would consider it to be a massive amount of freedom to be able to traverse the world without any vision of others. But it's not the case at all. In fact, it's rarely the case for Griffin, and everywhere he goes, he seems to attract a massive amount of attention. Whether he's staying in an inn, whether he's walking down the street, everywhere he goes, he attracts a lot of attention. For the first part of the book, he wears a bit of a costume. He has himself wrapped up looking something like a mummy. He has coats and he has hats and he has himself fairly well covered and he wears big blue goggles. But at the same time, looking so peculiar, people start to think. They say, well, maybe he's a robber hiding his identity, maybe some sort of criminal. Some others, they think that maybe he's been disfigured. And of course, all of these things attract attention. Furthermore, once he reveals that he is invisible, the attention only increases. One would think that being invisible would make it easy to nap wherever you wanted, but that's not the case either. Just as it's hard to isolate oneself from the attention of others, it is also difficult to find rest. And one of the big issues that Griffin has in his life is an inability to find rest. And this actually happens for a lot of practical reasons. From a very physical side, when one's eyelids are invisible, you can't shade yourself from light. This is nothing to block out the light. But... Moving to a larger issue, it's hard to actually find a place of security. When there are people after you, people who are hunting you down, it's hard to find somewhere where you won't be disturbed. Or even if people aren't hunting you down, it's hard to find somewhere where someone won't come and stumble upon you. It's not as easy as it would initially appear to be invisible and find any place of rest or solitude. As Griffin carries on his life of invisibility, he finds that he is really lacking in his ability to sleep. And this is one of the agents which works against him, devolving him down towards a plane of monstrosity. And eventually Griffin is turned into such a monster that he wants to do nothing but rain terror on the rest of the world. And ceasing to rest, he forgets his place in the world. He forgets the ambition of his youth, and he forgets the aim he had of even pursuing the study of light to begin with. He forgets everything that made him human, and he is reduced to nothing more than a monster. Griffin finds that there is no rest in his invisible lifestyle and starts to turn against those who have a more natural lifestyle. Naturally, being invisible is not part of the created order. It breaks a lot of the good things that God spoke into existence in Genesis 1. Not only does Griffin break the laws of night and day, making a mockery of light, but he breaks himself away from the very concept of rest. This drives him mad and makes him into a monster. He terrorizes people and even as they create a plan to stop him, they realize that they can use his inability to rest against him, tiring him out to where he is weak and cannot fight against them. This, of course, leads Griffin to a place where he's ultimately beaten to death by a mob. It's a tragic end for a monster, but it is one of the things which is kind of how the world works. Yes, the Invisible Man is a fictitious story, but it bears with it some interesting allegories about creation and how we have to live within the laws of creation. Genesis 1 is very interesting. It contains both commandments and laws. It contains the commandments to be fruitful and multiply, and it clearly instructs humanity to subdue the earth in accordance with their duties as the image of God. To complement these, it also contains the laws of the universe which cannot be broken. These are the laws of light and day, the very laws of physics. Interestingly, the law of rest is one of these laws of the universe which is implemented there in Genesis 1. And when we look at our world, we realize that rest is actually a fundamental part of creation. Now, when we look to our modern world, we'll realize that oftentimes people are plagued with this law 
in an interesting way. Rest is important, but it is a small portion of creation. It doesn't make up all seven days. It only makes up one-seventh. Many in our modern world spend too much time resting, whereas our ancestors often were unable to afford a Sabbath. In fact, they were only able to afford such a luxury out of religious penance. Many people in the past, they would have to actually actively work and plan ahead in order to take a day off because, well, the toils of the word require so much energy. Even if we spend some time to think about the seven deadly sins, which are pride, greed, envy, lust, wrath, gluttony, and slothfulness, we find that these are sins that are often embodied by attempts to realign the laws of creation. When it comes to rest, we know that if you exaggerate the role of rest, you will become a sloth. To contrast, we know that if you diminish the role of rest, you will become wrathful. You will turn into a bit of a monster, as does Griffin, the Invisible Man. We realize that there are a lot of problems when one turns against the laws of creation. And it's not just the case with rest, it's with all of them. Each has their place, and whenever we try to organize them to our own will, we find that it is not so easy. Furthermore, we find that it is not only difficult, but it will also turn creation against us to where it fights us in the very terms which we assaulted it. Throughout the history of human storytelling, and when we specifically look at literature, we find that there are a very common set of themes throughout monster stories. And these often take the form of the fact that the monster lives somewhere in the void. They live outside the laws of creation. Even if we look at something like the Key of Solomon, which is a bona fide book of demons that is at worst 500 years old and at best a couple of thousand years old, it opens up invoking bornless beings. And of course, to call them bornless beings, we have to stretch the word being a bit because they're not really created. They're not really things which be. We often tend to describe such things with the word entities. You often hear this in paranormal explorations and stuff of that caliber because we hear the word entity and it feels a little less alive to us. It feels a bit more abstract as if it's something which doesn't really exist on the plane that we do. Monsters, they live in absence of creation's laws. And even in Genesis 1, although we do not see such monsters, we find instead order and or order out of chaos and we find life and we find an air of innocence, what we do find in the terms of monsters is the outlining of the laws which govern the universe that stand in opposition to monsters and all things which are monstrous. We see an organized structure for life to flourish. From the light of the first day to the rest on the seventh, we find all things conducive to life. In fact, Genesis 1 is a chapter of blessing. It is the beautiful creation of life. It is filled with order, an order that helps to embolden the new life that will creep throughout creation. Now, there is a sentiment of innocence in Genesis 1, and there is a sense of order. When I say innocence, we see that everything it has its meaning. As long as it goes along with the order which God has given it, good things will happen. This innocence does not happen in a vacuum, and it's not just because things have meaning, therefore they are good. It's because they have the good meaning of God that they are good. And in fact, goodness can only be good when it is derived from God. I know a lot of that is circular logic, but it really is so. There must be a source at the center of heaven, this place which is beyond the touch of humanity that is virtuous. And then, if that realm of virtue is beyond the touch of humanity, it can actually have a transcendent value for humanity to live by. The innocence of Genesis 1, again, is not found in a vacuum, and it is not found in the void. Instead, it is found in the hierarchy of creation, a hierarchy that is built along the terms of what is good and virtuous. It is the hierarchy of God.
Genesis 1 truly is a place of life, and only monsters dare to break the laws of creation. And in fact, the journey to becoming a monster begins with the temptation to break the laws of creation. As we contemplate Genesis 1 and the built-in morality there, and even as it folds over into Genesis chapter 2, those early few verses, we realize that creation does have a very, very particular order. Well, that's where we're going to end this sermon, and I thank you for joining us. Again, this is Kingdom of the Logos, and I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments, please reach out to me. And with that, God love you, and have a blessed day.